Gary Hapre Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. Always appreciate hearing folks all around town, all around the country, wherever you may be. Even all around the world there with the right go. code. Go ahead and give us a call. Try to hook you up. There you go. Of course, we're out two weeks for the holidays and such as that, but we're right back in the studio so if you got a question on your mind this is a good day to call in very much so got a pile of information here to go over but we got a few things to talk about (laughs) (laughs) you know we get a lot of email from people all around the country and every once in a while we get one that i think is pretty interesting makes a certain point or someone will request a certain topic sure be discussed and that's what michael from california did he has a e350 ford van and he was wanting to know he's how and why are the maintenance things on a van more expensive than a normal vehicle? And that's a good question. Vans at one time were very popular. They were. back in You the, don't see them much anymore. You don't see them too much. The ones you do see are generally work-type vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even those, you don't see them a whole lot. It just They kind of went out of favor. I guess just like the station wagon became the SUV or whatever, right. uh, the vans just kind of went away. I remember back in the 70s, there were several oh, yeah. national companies that would just customize vans, mm-hmm. and that's all they did. But vans, because the engine is generally sort of midship, it's kind of inside the passenger compartment between the driver and the passenger. Correct. Because of the design, that's why they had to place it. you got a small hood on them, but you really can't access a lot of things. You can't, and to to access the majority of the engine, you have to take what they call the doghouse, which is the cover that's inside between the seats. You have to take that off to access most of the engine components, and sometimes you actually have to take a seat out right, to get that housing, that housing out of out. the way. And it's labor-intensive to remove the housing. You could spend anywhere from 15 minutes up to an hour to take Depending. the thing out and put it back in, so that adds cost, obviously. Well, and Plus, you're working through a little small opening. Well, you're working through the doorway, right. leaning over the, the thing, so it's a little harder to work on. If you're removing a major component, let's say you're doing an intake job, right. the intake has to come off. Mm-hmm. Taking it off is not usually a big deal, but putting it back on correctly sometimes takes two technicians. And in that case, they both have to get paid to do this job. That's correct. So the labor is a little more on a van versus, say, a pickup truck. And some items are not too terribly much more, but, you know, others are considerably. Like just a tune-up, for instance, you can't get to the spark plugs and everything because they're under that doghouse. All that has to be removed. And there's generally something like changing an engine is a major, major, major problem because it has to come out from underneath you have to have a crane of some sort to get in to hold it up from above to lower it down mm-hmm. so that may be as much as twice as much well and sometimes sometimes the grill and the radiator support have to come out right. and the engine has to go out the front just depending on the application yeah, how, how that so the, the labor is a lot more intensive when you're working on a van just because of the constraints of the the way the vehicle's and made. And there's also certain problems that are more inherent on vans. For instance, exhaust manifolds are worse about cracking they and breaking. They seem to be. Because they're shielded up inside that thing, so the heat stays there. Mm-hmm. Plug wires. Oh, plug uh, wires. Plug wires because yeah. the heat. It, that engine tends to contain a lot more heat because it's sitting in an enclosed well, and opening. It's, it's insulated from the passenger compartment. Well, it has to be so, to keep the heat out the car. Exactly. So it keeps all that heat around the engine, whereas a pickup truck, that's kind of open out right. in the uh, in the air, and it it cools off quite reg- uh, easily. Right. So yeah, you know, these are just a few of the reasons why it's so much more expensive to maintain or repair a van right. than it would be a passenger car or a truck of some sort. Let's take another phone call. We got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. 
Good morning, Lewis and Brian. How are you guys? Doing great, sir. We're doing great. great. Excellent. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you. So I have a uh, older 2007 Hyundai, and I, it seems like I have some type of parasitic draw. Mm-hmm. I did do a, I hooked up a meter in line, and there was a draw at some point, and then I went and did it again. There was none, so it seems intermittent. The well, you got drive- you got to watch too, Mike. A lot of vehicles. The computers and all do not go to sleep when you turn the key off. So to do a parasitic draw on a what I call a modern car, and even an 07 is considered a modern car, you have to wait about an hour after you turn it off to actually take your readings. Okay. A lot of them, the keep alive memory and all stays up up to an hour. So if you just go in and run the test, you may get a fairly significant draw, but it should go away. You have to watch until it powers down. And so, something else you need to remember, too, is if you disconnect the battery when you hook your meter in line, you may have turned off the item that was causing the problem, and it didn't re- it didn't reboot after you hooked everything back mm-hmm. up. So you need to need to figure out a way to hook that meter in line without disconnecting the power. Yeah, and it, uh, it's so kind of a jumper. Right. It's, some, it's, it's awkward in some vehicles. Some vehicles, it's not too bad. But if you got some kind of battery memory uh, saver where you can – Keep the system powered up. You can disconnect the, the cable, hook your meter in, and then take your auxiliary power off where it flow where the power flows through the meter. Then, then you're not disconnecting the power source to the item that right. could be causing For a instance, problem. You may have a module that the portion of it that causes it to power down has gone bad, and so it will stay up, which is a parasitic draw, which will kill your battery. But if you disconnect the battery and it, it may just go completely dead, well then it may not power back up on that you know, on that because sort of reboot it so you're changing the, the circumstances you gotta be sure you test under the circumstances where it's occurring right and, and that leads kind of to like a little more info on this is i only work seven miles away so it doesn't get a lot of charging opportunities mm-hmm. but if i drive it every day it seems like it's not going dead if right. i let it sit for let's say three to four days I, it's dead. It's yeah, not. sounds to me like you're probably not driving it enough, Mike, because driving a vehicle seven miles, especially if it's not at a high enough speed, and there's the engine RPM, if you ever test an alternator at, say, idle, it's going to put out about 25% of its rate of capacity. You have to bring it up to around 2,000 RPM to really get the rate of capacity. And with, again, modernish vehicles with all the overdrives and all that, if you're driving 35, 40 miles an hour, that engine may not ever be getting just barely over idle, you know, 1,200 RPM or so. And you start the car, you're pulling 175 amps out of this thing, and then you drive it seven miles. It may not be charging. So it's always in sort of a weakened state. You let it sit for three or four days, and boom, it goes dead because it's already in a weakened state because it's not ever getting charged fully enough. All right, good info. And and what is the range? Like, I check it every few days with the multimeter, mm-hmm. and I get between, like, 12... 5 and 12 7 volts when it's not engaged does that sound about right well yeah that's about normal base passed on the battery but to really do a parasitic draw test you're gonna need a uh, a milliamp meter right and you want less than five hundredths of an amp draw less than 500 yes sir okay excellent thanks as always guys Hi, Mike. All right, thank All you. Right. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. He brings up a good point about not driving a car enough. And we have a lady and her husband who have two vehicles, and they just don't drive them very much because they right. don't have that many needs. And now, unfortunately, her husband has gotten to a point of health where he's not going to be able to drive anymore. Mm-hmm. So she was in the shop the other day, 
And just to show you how little she drives, she's got a 2006 Toyota Solara. It's got 14,000 miles on it. Right, right. And it barely goes anywhere. Yeah, it just hardly gets driven. So the problem that you get with that is that the battery is going to tend to go dead because sure. it just doesn't get charged. And she was talking to me the other day. She said, I've got to get rid of one of these cars. Right. And so they sat down and talked about it a little bit, and they decided to keep – they've got a Ford Grand Mar- uh, excuse me, a Mercury Grand Marquis. Uh-huh. And they said it's a little easier for a husband to get in and out of it. So a little gonna, bit bigger car. going to keep that one. But got a, that 2006 Solara, you talk about a chair oh, yeah. for somebody. This, and and this car has been – I mean, she has maintained this car meticulously. Yep. Five, five new tires the other day. It's got a new battery in it. It has had all the maintenance right on time. She changes it all three times a year regardless mm-hmm. of mileage. But she wants to sell it now, so I, I said I'll, I'll mission it on the air. There if anybody's go. looking for a 2006 Solara convertible with 14,000 miles on it, give me a call at the shop Monday morning. I'll, there you go. We'll, we'll I'll, get I'll connect you, you together. Yeah, that's right. But you got to remember when you start your car, that starter is a huge draw sure. of amperage. It draws that amperage out of the battery, which leaves it in a somewhat weakened state. When you start to drive, when RPM get up to around 2,000, when I starts putting voltage back into the battery or amperage back into mm-hmm. the battery but if you're driving six seven miles and at relatively low speed right you're never reaching that rpm hardly you're not maintaining that RPM. a lot of time a lot of vehicles the battery actually subsidizes the alternator at low speed mm-hmm. for instance you may have a 100 amp alternator well at a thousand rpm it may only put out 30 or 40 amps now, let's say your car draws 50 to 60 amps. It's discharging all the time. All the time. And the battery's making up the difference. So under those circumstances, people wonder a lot, well, why does my battery keep going dead? We just don't just drive not, the car enough. Right. I mean, alternatively, you could get some kind of you know, outside charging source. I know they make these little solar-powered chargers. And if you're going to do that, if you can put some kind of a charger on your battery, it's important to get one that is computer-controlled. So that it, like the old ones where you just had a spring wind up timer on there, those can overcharge the battery, which will also damage it. Exactly, and the, the newer ones, the, they're much nicer now. You actually have a you can permanently attach them to the battery, mm-hmm. and then they have a master plug right. that you can plug and unplug, mm-hmm. and you don't have to mess with the battery but one time. Right, and those seem to work real well for a vehicle that doesn't move. I know a lot of the the ATV guys, right, stuff that don't move around like lawnmowers and things like that. Well, that motorhomes. Certain times of the year, you know, they get used, but, and that battery tender really does a good job on those. Yeah. There you go. Let's see if we can grab one more quick little call before the break. We got Eugene online. Good morning, Eugene. Yes, sir, Lewis. How y'all doing? Doing wonderful, sir. Look, on that parasitic draw mm-hmm. y'all were talking about, yes, sir. I, have a, I have a milliamp meter. Mm-hmm. Not quite sure exactly how I should hook that up but the complaint on the uh, thing i immediately see on this vehicle is drawing the battery down yes sir mm-hmm. they take four or five days right only thing i really immediately see is a shift indicator light stays on okay well that's a well, problem that's, uh, that's, because it's not the light bulb but something is keeping that light on so you've got either a short in it you got a malfunction in the Body module, body the, module, the transmission module, module. Yeah. you're going to need to trace that down because the problem today on cars, even a 99 model, is there's a lot of modules that you don't even think about. For you instance, don't even know they're there. Yeah, like a power seat module. Yeah. I mean, not many people give that any thought. If it's staying energized, how would you know? I mean, you'd have no idea. There's no lights on it. There's no indication. 
except that we find that quite a bit. A lot of times the radio will stay on. Even though it's not playing, it's internally on. I mean, just on and on and on and on and on. All these modules can stay powered up, and they're going to discharge that battery. And what you have to do with that is to do a parasitic draw test and start unplugging components one at a time until the draw goes away. I understand that. Mm-hmm. I tell you, go to my website and just type in parasitic draw, and there's an article all about how to do it and what to look for and all those sorts of things, because it's probably more complex than I can get into on the air today. But can I have, I have one simple question go ahead. tonight, for instance? Mm-hmm. In hooking up the meter... Yes, sir. Can I, let's say, go from the positive battery to that junction block where the other uh, other uh, cables are hooked? No, you're going to have to disconnect it at the battery because that's the source of all your power. It's best to use the negative terminal. Either one would work, but I usually like to do the negative terminal. Well, see, that, and it, that's the point. It has to flow through it the meter. It has to flow back through it anyway. Okay. And what you want to do is you want to try to jump across those terminals where you don't lose power when you disconnect the battery. Because there's certain modules, if you disconnect the battery, they're going to, Turn, turn off, off. and yeah. that might be the problem it won't show up sure but if i'm looking at the negative mm-hmm. battery terminal let's say where, where does the other lead go well you're going to disconnect your terminal from the battery you're going to hook it between oh. the battery and the terminal right I so that, that so way the power everything has to through flow back meter. through it i got you mm-hmm. all righty i'll look at the website y'all uh always do a great job i wish y'all a happy uh holiday season well thank, thank you. you sir wait wait calling from eugene I'm right here in Baton Rouge. Okay, oh, good deal. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you, Kyle. I'm, I, I send a lot of work to you. Well, good. <laughs> I'm, you. And I appreciate it. <laughs> I know y'all know what you're doing. I've been listening for years and years and years, and yeah. you convinced me. Yeah, well, there's a pretty in, uh, pretty involved article on that yeah. topic that'll go into all the detail on it. It should help me a lot, I am sure. Thank you. All right, Eugene. All thanks, right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, got to take our first quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to motor west, travel miles. Sir, how did you get in here? I used my grappling hook and climbed in through the window. Well, as long as you have an appointment. Ah, yes, Mr. B. Wing. Uh, why are you stressed about your job? Doc, I live in an area with a high crime rate, and part of my duty is to fight that crime. But lately, it seems like every time I turn around, someone needs my help. It's like this bright light signaling. Bat, what, I mean, B. Wayne, help us. Well, Mr. Rain, there's not much I can do in regard to your crime-fighting dilemma. But if you want some peace of mind, bring your car in once a year to AGCO for a general inspection. They'll inspect your vehicle bumper to bumper and let you know where you stand. And these guys are honest? Years ago, they advised me not to fix a minor electrical problem that I could live with because it was too expensive. They sound like good people. Okay, I've got to go. I sure wish he would use the door like a normal patient. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you're just joining us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Got all our lines wide open. That we do. And, you know, we were talking about batteries going dead and... Right. Things not, like not that. Not driving the car enough. And stuff. Right. We've actually got an email from Mr. Ryan from California. He wanted to know about jump-starting a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And that is a is a very good topic because if done wrong, it can cause thousands of dollars worth of damage. In a split second. Exactly. It doesn't take but a split second to cause. I remember a gentleman told me that he was installing a battery in his car, and inadvertently he connected the terminals backwards, 
He says, but I, I yanked it off real quick. Mm-hmm. I said, well, that electricity is traveling 186,000 miles a second. Yeah. I, I don't think I don't you're think that quick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you that fast. Yeah. And he was lucky. It blew out his alternator and, and it, it took the master, the, the maxi fuse out. Right. The big maxi fuse blew. Yeah. It had to put an alternator on it. And I think maybe, may have to do something to the radio. I don't remember, but that can burn out a tremendous number of stuff. And, and with today's vehicles with all the modules and electronics on them, and it can get costly extremely fast. Oh yeah. It gets way on up real quick. And people ask me all the time, what's the best way to jump your car? And I always say, don't do it. Right. The best way is it's, don't do it. Just go buy a new battery, yeah, put it in. Get a battery and, and put it in there or whatever and make sure you install it correctly. But if you just absolutely have to do it, a couple of things. Number one, make absolutely sure you're getting the two terminals connected properly. Now, there are some new battery cables out, some jumper cables that will automatically reverse polarity mm-hmm. if they're connected wrong or so i've heard i haven't seen i've never yet. tried any of them they are out there i don't think it's worth it myself i don't think i would hook it up to my car backwards no. to see if it works or not but they <laughs> claim they not. do i don't know maybe do, do some more research on that but be absolutely sure you got them connected right it's also a good idea when you connect in it to you connect to the donor car when you connect to the other car connect one to the positive terminal connect the other to the engine block somewhere uh-huh. That way, when you disconnect, the spark that inevitably will be there ensues will not be at the battery. Right, in case there's a, a gas around the well, battery. charging batteries emit hydrogen gas, which is very explosive. And so you got an explosive gas under the hood of a car. You make a spark it and easily. Yeah. And when that battery blows up, it's going to cover, it's, cover you with sulfuric acid. It is, is not, not a good experience. Not not at all. Yeah, not something you're going to want to have to. Uh, not to mention what it does to the vehicle and, and everything else oh, yeah. around it. Yeah, it blows it all over the place. I've been unlucky enough to see a couple of batteries explode in my life. Once was in trade school. Kid hooked it up wrong on a charger. And another one, the customer had blown the battery up. He brought it into us for repair. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, beyond having to paint the car, and right, most of the engine. I mean, it had acid everywhere. It ate the air conditioning lines up, all yeah. down in the in the frame rails. Yeah, because all that can get in there. Any 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 place liquid can get, it'll go. It'll go. And yeah, so best is just not to do it. If you do have to do it, you have to be extremely careful. And again, if you go to my website, I've got an article, a detailed topic mm-hmm. on just jumping back. Just put in jump start, go to it, and it will detail for you a lot of things you may not ever have thought about. Right. They've got some new jump boxes mm-hmm. out now that are right. that are a lot safer. A lot safer because you can connect to the battery, then you can turn the jump box on so there's no spark. Well, and you're not damaging another car. Exactly. Because with a donor car, what happens is that this car is generally running when you're jumping off. When you connect two batteries, that alternator says, hey, I got a big out. load. It pegs out. It kiss, it's charging wide open. Mm-hmm. So when you disconnect the battery on the car that's being started, you can knock out the alternator on the other car. Sure. So what I always like to do is turn the headlights on high, high, high beam, beam uh-huh. on the car that I'm jumping from. And what that does is it provides a little bit of a buffer. I'm not saying it's going to save you, but it would definitely reduce the risk of doing of it. Ter- of damaging some and components. You, you may even want to start this car and then switch this car off and disconnect the battery, the jumper cables, before you do just as an added measure of safety. Right. But a yeah, pretty complex process with a lot of things that can go wrong and huge, huge costs involved. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Ed online. Good morning, Ed. Yes, sir. I had a 2014 GMC truck, uh-huh. and uh, it's making a, it sounded like a, a belt squeaking, I guess. Okay. And so when I had my oil changed, they told me I needed to change my 
serpentine belt and tensioner, which I did myself. I, okay. I changed that. Mm-hmm. Still doing it. Okay. And it's like early in the morning when I first crank it, mm-hmm. it'll make that it'll make that noise as it idles and warms up. It goes away. Well, now did you change both belts on the truck or just one? I just changed the the main belt. That- I didn't change the vacuum belt or the. Yeah, uh, actually, three belts on three it. Belts. Uh, also got two an air conditioning belt on Two it. of them are stretch belts, and one of them's on a tensioner. You, what you may want to do, Ed, is make sure you got the air conditioning turned off when you start it and see if it still does it. Uh-huh. And okay. The, as far as the, uh, the vacuum I, I, pump bump that I, belt, there's nothing you can do to test it. And unfortunately, that belt has to be cut to get off, and you got to put right. another one on with, yeah. with a special tool. That's a stretch belt, uh, and so is the belt on the, off, a, on the a, air conditioner. Air conditioning, yeah. They're two stretch uh, belts. Right. But now what I would do first, uh, Ed, first I start it without the air conditioning on and just see if the noise is still there, then you know it's probably not that. The second thing I would do is remove the big belt and start it and see if the noise is still there. Just temporarily. Temporarily. If the noise is there with the belt off, it's not the belt or anything the belt drives. It's something else because other things can sound like a belt, you see. Now, while you got that belt off, take in those idler pulleys, there's one tensioner and it's probably – uh, one or two more on there but anyway turn those by hand also turn like the alternator by hand because sometimes those bearings in those parts can get dry and they can make a noise just like a belt and it's just when it heats up it kind of expands and noise goes away so try all those things and i'm pretty sure you're going to find your noise the last thing we do sometimes is crank it up with it squeaking and get like a little squirt bottle with some water in it and just spray a little bit of water on that belt and see if noise temporarily goes away and right. if it does, then you definitely got a belt type of problem. It could be that one of the pulleys is out of line. It could be that something, if it's had any kind of work done on the truck at all, something got put back and it's not exactly in line will cause that. It's just when they heat up, the belt gets softer, and it can tend to grip more and makes less noise. So most belt-related problems will be when it's cold. Yeah. It will uh, make that noise more if, when I accelerate, yeah, well, sure, motor speeding up the loads right. increasing. But I, I yeah. tell you too, now I have been fooled a couple of things that sound just like a belt and aren't. We had one one time, and uh, it had a little. The motor mount was bad, and it was touching, and the, you know, the metal part of the motor mount was touching the metal part of the body, uh, and it was, yeah. and, and when you speed up, the motor's turning faster, and then when it heated up, something expanded a little bit, and it quit rubbing, you know. But, That's exactly that, what it sounds like. But, but I would certainly check those belts. Yeah. First, first off, like I said, try it without AC on, and then if it's still doing it, take the belt off and see if it does it. Okay. Because that, that eliminates everything else. You don't have to check anything else if it goes away when you take the belt off. I appreciate that. All righty. All right. Thank you, man. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling, man. All right. We've got to take our second quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year 
for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that can lead to big, expensive problems down the road. And the Hayco General Inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Now I'm noise off the river to ride. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it. But I can't hey, welcome back to the Joint Security Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Please go ahead and give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. You know, before the break, we were talking to the gentleman with the 14 Silverado. Yes, sir. About the squeaking noise. And I want to recall the vacuum pump that is now on that new style 5.3. Right. We'll make noise like that sometimes. Yeah, the vacuum pumps have given some. We've changed a couple of them. We have. Out. And unfortunately, you would have to cut that belt to even check it. It, it, <laughs> I mean, yes and no i yeah. mean you, you can get it off of there but you stretch it getting it off yeah you're not supposed to put it back on right it's gonna, be a, it's gonna be a new belt regardless right but again the truck's six years old he's got a new main belt it probably wouldn't hurt anything to go ahead and change two stretch belts on it too if you had to take the vacuum off yeah. the vacuum pump and that pump can definitely so if you take the big belt off and the noise is still there then that would be the first place i would go yeah yeah i would go ahead and take that belt off and uh, see if the noise goes away yeah, those pumps are kind of cheap built anyway. They are. And, you know, GM, when they redesigned the 5.3, they actually messed with the valve timing. And what they're doing is they're keeping the valves open longer mm-hmm. and actually forcing air back into the engine. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is the result is a lower vacuum. Okay. So they had to put a vacuum pump, a designated vacuum pump, on that engine to supply enough vacuum run, to run the brakes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was... I don't know. I guess all in engineering, but yeah. not a job I got to do. So no, I'm not going to criticize the ones that do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that goes. Yeah. And several months ago, we had Stephen Cook on the show, right? And Stephen wrote a book called OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. Yes, sir. And I think that's an excellent book. And Stephen emailed the other day. He says, I'd like to go ahead and give you a couple of more books to okay. give out on the show. Okay. Which I really appreciate. But that is an excellent book, even if you have to buy one. I mean, they, they're on Amazon. It's about a $30 book, but the very first time you use it, it's probably going to save you way more than $30. Oh, most definitely. I mean, it's it's kind of read for the uh, beginner. It's, it's done from a beginner up to but, a kind of advanced do-it-yourselfer. I mean, a trained L1 Master Tech probably knows the majority of this but, but it, it doesn't even tips. hurt that's right i know i read through it and i had chris uh-huh. <laughs> at the shop go through it right and he said yeah i did pick up some stuff for him so it's it's a very good book very well written very easy to understand obd2 diagnostics made easy now just to be fair to our podcasters we're going to be giving one book away next week uh-huh. and we'll be giving another book away the week following so okay, be it's the, the 14th, 14th and the, the 21st. 21st and the first person who calls the radio the show. show okay and ask for the book you can't just call you have to call and ask for a copy of the book those two people will get the book one each week for the next two weeks not going to do it today because it wouldn't be fair to podcasters because they only listen a week behind sure so on the 14th and the 21st we'll have obd2 diagnostics made easy by stephen cook available free of charge to the first two people that call wonderful so great book yeah it really is a good book it gives you a more 
I guess more, more of a logical. diagnostic, logical yeah. sequence of events. And that's one thing. Unfortunately, when something goes wrong, the first thing most people want to do is go to a parts store, get a code read, and then and start changing throw parts. parts at it. Right. And the parts stores are all too happy to provide this service. Well, sure. Because they're selling parts. They're selling a bunch of junk parts, usually aren't as good as the ones you're taking off. In fact, many, many times after they've spent $1,000 on stuff they didn't need, they come to us and we diagnose the problem, but they've also got a couple problems from substandard parts. Sure. And we see it a lot with mass airflow sensors. Oh, yeah. And, and I, the bad part about that is when you take, when you buy a mass airflow sensor to parts house, because you have they're to, rebuilt. You have to turn your old one back in for a so core. The good one went back. So it's gone. Now you got a piece of junk. So now you do have a mass airflow sensor problem. Plus whatever else plus is going on. Plus the original problem, which was probably a vacuum leak or who knows what. So, yeah, you've made a much, much, much bigger problem for yourself mm-hmm. by trying to use a haphazard approach than getting some information. I'm not saying don't try to do it yourself if you like it. If, you, if you're if you interested in that, you like it, get some information, read get, on it, get some knowledge. Get some good information. Yeah, some good information. And if you're still not sure, you'll send me an email, and I'll kind sure. of bounce some ideas off of you. I can't diagnose it long distance obviously but i can tell you well no that's probably not too likely or yeah that does uh-huh. sound likely or we change these all the time yeah or, this is a yeah. very high failure part or, or whatever the case may be but there just is a much better way than just going down and mm. getting a code red and start changing parts right getting a code red is just a starting point of what is going on when the computer sees certain things it says its software is written to say hey when i see this turn this light on and put this code in it right and and it may be that it's something else in that circuit causing the problem. In some cases, it may not be anything in that circuit at all. Exactly. That's like O2 sensor right. code. O2 sensor out of range does not mean the O2 sensor is bad. It not means it's reading out of range. It's out of range. Why is it reading out of range? Well, what else is going on? I mean, you could have a stuck valve. Oh, you could have all kinds you of things. You have a stuck injector. You give a bad spark plug. You could have you a, a vacuum you could have leak a, in the exhaust. You could have a hung intake valve. Well, yeah, yeah. Anything that would stop the normal process from occurring correctly. Well, we had a gentleman come in the other day with a Ford F-150, fairly late model. 543 valve. Right. And had a misfire code. He had been to the dealer, I don't know, two or three times. Sure. And they had changed a fairly large amount of stuff and just basically told, hey, we don't know what's wrong. Right. Right. After they've charged him. After after we did all this, if this still doesn't fix it, then we need to change the computer in this. Yeah. And and wasn't even close what it ended up being. One of the valves was hanging up, and it's got two valves. Two intake valves, right. one exhaust. Right. And so what was happening the is... The camshaft had wore out in it. I think and, actually the rocker, the, the roller and the rocker arm... Follower, yeah. ...failed, and when it did, it rounded the camshaft off, and it quit opening and closing that valve. Right. But it still had one valve, so it could still run. Right. And what it was doing was only misfiring when it was cold right. because the amount of fuel going in was only going through one valve and it was sitting in the top of the other one. Well, and it was an open loop, whereas once it went to closed loop, it could it kind saw of start that and lean started, things back and, and what right. have you, make a few adjustments there. Well, but, we actually took a boroscope and took the injector out mm-hmm. and ran it down in the hole where the injector goes and you could see that the fluid sitting on, yeah, on the valve. on top of the valve because the valve wasn't open, so it wasn't, so it was, the it injector wasn't was spraying it in there. But it wasn't getting sucked into the cylinder. Right, because, because it wasn't open. open. And it was actually pulling right on top of right. the valve. And being a three-valve engine, it could still run on the other valve. Well, what it was doing is it was actually pulling fuel out of Sucking that hole of that one. and running it through the other valve. And like you said, because it was a three-valve, is the reason it was acting that way. Yeah, sort of a very involved diagnosis on it. but uh, It was. It took us several hours to Chris to figure it out. And, you know, you spent probably two and a half, three hours diagnostic time, which is 
$300 or so. Sure. But the gentleman has spent far more than that on stuff he didn't need. Right. Wasn't even close to the problem. Exactly. And what the dealership was projecting was, well, maybe we need to change the computer, which would have been another 1000 bucks, and which would not have done it. one bit of good. Exactly. I, I tell you, Chris is, and he, he's on it when, he, when it comes to diagnostic stuff mm-hmm. like that. He's going to work on it until he figures, it, figures oh, yeah. it out. I, yeah. I've seen him take some things and just most people would give up, not him. He, he's going to find <laughs> out what's wrong with it. And uh, that's basically what happened with his Ford truck. I right. mean, he finally figured out, hey, this is what's going on here. Well, and we kind of suspected it could be a valve problem. But again, on this particular model truck, pulling that valve cover off to examine this stuff is another three or four hour job. Oh, no, it's, it's more like a five or six hour job because the body has to come off to even get the valve cover off yeah it's a huge deal so it's one of those things you really can't afford to just start taking it apart looking looking for a problem but yeah it ended up putting the cylinder head on it and fixed the problem everything's good now but it just shows you that was setting a misfire code on cylinder six i think so only and, when and it, only when it was cold. cold. Right. Yeah. First in five minutes, it, it was, was gone. Which also made it difficult to diagnose because you had a very narrow frame of time to check for it. Right. Because so, once it warmed up, the code went away, the misfire went away, there was nothing to trace. Right. And so we had to have it cold, and that was the, the thing, was, it was getting into the shop when it was cold. Right. So we could check. Well, fortunately, the gentleman was able to leave it with us long enough to where we could have it cold to try it. But we first off took the injector out moved it to a different cylinder, took the plug out, moved it to a still different cylinder, and took the call off and brought it to a, a third Another, cylinder. Correct. So with that one simple test, probably less than an hour, we eliminated everything in, the, in that thing. While the plug was out, we checked compression. So we've eliminated four major possibilities right in, there. In an hour's time. Yeah, in an hour's time, as opposed to, well, let's change the plug to see if it helps. Let's change the call to see if it helps. Let's do this. You can spend an inordinate amount of money with guesswork. Mm-hmm. You know, I always you try could. to tell people, you get cars in with intermittent problems. They say, well, could it be this? Well, absolutely well, sure. could be. But, could be a lot of things. Yeah, you can run out of money before I run out of guess. Because <laughs> I, can, I, I can guess a whole lot of stuff it could be. And that's just the common stuff. I mean, when you start getting into stuff like somebody's worked on this before, left a ground wire loose somewhere, which is something that normally would never occur, uh-huh. and, it and adds a whole other genre. And, and to that, what is worse is the one that's left loose and not one that is not put back on. Well, because let, if it's let's loose, say it's put on, but the bolt is not tightened. Now, it's making contact sometimes, if it just happens to be laying on it, but you hit a little bump and it may lose contact. Exactly. So now you've got an intermittent problem nobody can find. Or extremely hard to find, I should say. Very, very, very difficult to find. We had a transmission in a Lexus one time, and this thing would just make a wicked vibration shudder when it would shift from second to third. Mm-hmm. And they had already put a transmission in the car trying to fix this. Right. On and on and on it goes. And what Josh finally found, someone had done the valve cover gaskets on it. They left a wire on the back of the valve cover loose the back of the cylinder head uh-huh. loose it was on there but the bolt was not tightened and what it would do is it would not provide a ground to the solenoid that it needed and when it made the shift no ground it couldn't release that solenoid so it would stay so in one stayed. gear when it shifted into another gear right which we knew that was the problem we knew it was staying in in two gears at once but why and i mean you check you check you check you check uh, even someone I think had put a computer in it, thinking mm-hmm. maybe the computer was bad. What we ha- ended up having to do is we did a voltage drop test on all the solenoid leads. Well, sure enough, we got 12 volts on one solenoid under certain conditions, right. but not others. So 
we were able to find it, literally tighten the bolt down. But it might have taken us six hours to, to put our it. hand on this sure, because it was such an obscure thing, not anything you would ever think to look for. But that's still cheaper than a transmission. Well, <laughs> you spent 4000 on a transmission. Right. You spent 1200 on a computer. So yeah, you get bucks out to save six hours of diagnostic time. Right. Yeah, we, we run across that a lot, particularly with electrical stuff. Remember, we had one one time, and after X number of miles, I forget how many, it started doing, I, I don't recall the exact symptom, but it would do something really wild with mm-hmm. the electrical system. And the guy says, well, I haven't had any work done on the vehicle. Because okay. first thing I said, well, what's been done to it? Could not find anything. Had never had the vehicle never had any major services on it and what we found was there was a wire that was shorted to ground one of the computer leads was shortened to ground right and when they assembled this vehicle at the factory there's some cleats that came off the firewall that hold the dash in when they pushed it in with the wiring harness one of the wires got out of the harness uh-huh. and went over the cleat the other wires were under the cleat where it went they tightened the dash down on top of it well, all is well, no problem. Until after about eighty, ninety thousand 90,000 miles, that rubbing of the metal against that piece of wire Finally wore, wore through, through the insulation. The, yep. And it wasn't a dead short. It wasn't short all the time. It just, under certain conditions, it was short. Mm-hmm. And when it did, the car would go crazy. And again, it took us a huge amount of time to find it. Once you found it, you taped the wire up, put it right. back with the rest of the harness, put and the dash back in. It's all fixed. good. Yeah. You know, 30 seconds to fix it and... Yeah, six to eight who, hours who to knows? find it. Yeah. <laughs> that happens a lot. Hey, we got to take our final quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Lie back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Hevolted Supervillain, art nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par, melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Some days... I just want a garden. Hey, Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, president of Agco Automotive. We've got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Still got plenty of time. Just give us a call, 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live question answered today, you can always visit our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You click the button, a little form is going to pop up. And fill it out with the correct information and hit the send button. There you go. Wouldn't be easy as that. Just give us a call or send me an email. And your know, best thing is to call the show because you'll get a live answer. Sure. And you can ask questions, so on and so forth. Because a lot of times when I get an email, there's some piece of information I need that's not there, which is going to involve another email. Uh-huh. And I will give you my best idea from what you're saying but again you got to remember if you give me incorrect information not intentionally but because something didn't occur to you 
you're probably going to get an incorrect answer. Exactly. Uh, we get that a lot where people will call and say, I've got a clicking noise. And I say, well, and I'll give them some things to check. I say, no, that wasn't it. It was such and such. And I say, well, now, wait a minute. Was that a clicking? Well, that was a squeal, really. Well, well I mean, two different I Yeah, yeah two different you got to remember, I'm not listening to it. If you say click, i got to think click. Sure. So I'm thinking sure. things that could produce a click. If it's really a squeal, but you say click, you're going to get the wrong answer. Exactly. I absolutely guarantee you that. And vice versa. You know, just on and on and, and on. Any little wrong piece of information. And that's not just on the, the email. That right. is when you're trying to talk to a technician a or a shop. Get them the right information. And what's even better is if you can have the tech that's going to work on your vehicle, ride with you. Yeah. If that, you can produce what's going on, that way he, the tech knows what he's looking for right off the bat. He doesn't spend a whole lot of wasted time looking for something that you may have already known about or something that was already there well, you weren't concerned about. That's it. Let's say you've got an engine that has a little slapping noise when it's cold, goes away. It's been there for years and years and years. It's maybe natural for that engine to do that. Mm -hmm. But you come in and say, well, I've got a noise when the engine's cold. Well, the tech cranks it up cold, hears a slapping noise, and either he goes through a bunch of stuff to diagnose it, or if he realizes that's a natural noise, he'll tell you what's a natural noise. But that is not the noise you're talking about. Maybe it wasn't producing noise you're talking about when he did it. Right. Maybe there's two noises. So, you know, there was a guy who came in one time and same sort of a thing. He said it's making a noise when it's cold. And, again, we when, when you start it, when you first start it, well, we got it in. We started it several times. It had a slap noise in it, a Chevy pickup truck, right. Five 3 I said, well, that normal. is the – it has pretty nice. He said, well, this doesn't sound normal. I said, well, maybe there's another noise. Why don't you come down and listen to it? in the morning and so he agreed to do that well he comes in well i crank it up there's he said oh no no i knew about that noise right right that's okay, not the one i'm see, looking for i don't know what you know about what you don't he's, exactly he, and so we kept trying it three days later it finally it finally manifested and what it was the starter bendix would go out and it would hang up on the shaft wouldn't totally retract right and against the flywheel until right. it jumped back out well ended up replacing the starter fixed the problem but again, if you just come in and say a noise when it's cold, yeah, the first noise I'm going to hear, I'm assume is the one you're talking about. You have to be sure you can demonstrate the noise, correct? Because if not, again, yeah, at, at best we can do is crank it up a few times. We don't hear anything, then we can kind of look it over, make sure nothing is loose, and have to wait till the noise occurs well, again. And again, like I said, with noise cold, okay, it could be a valve lifter tapping. It sure. could, be, could be all kinds. It of, could be a exhaust manifold warped, an exhaust leak will make a tapping noise when it's cold. Broken bolt. Oh, a bad motor manifold. mount. Yeah, like we talked about. We before. see that all the time. Yeah, I mean, just so many things that can produce a noise. If I don't know the exact noise, and I know to you that noise is a very prevalent thing, but know you know what it is. But again, you got to remember, we drive hundreds if not thousands of cars they sure. all make noises sure and so what is normal to you may not be normal to me and vice versa so and, and again with multiple noises you could spend an awful lot of time trying to run down a noise oh, definitely. that you're not concerned with definitely it may be a noise that's always been there you know it's there you're really not worried about it but again Just, i don't know that so i'm going to run down every noise i hear which is going to eat up money. a lot of time time means money exactly so yeah, just a little advice. Always be sure that you fully explain it and you know that they understand. The very best service riders are going to be pretty good at getting that out of you. Mm-hmm. But, again, 
the world being what it is, not everybody, and even the best of service riders are going to be fooled if you inadvertently give them the wrong information, the wrong information, and just a skewed view of the information. You know, you're giving a layman's terms what you think is wrong. Mm-hmm. But again, in fact, I wrote an article one time, a play on a book, best-selling novel, a book that was out there. Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Well, right. I put, you know, mechanics are from Mars and customers are from Venus. Sure. And it just shows the different perspectives from which they are looking and the things that can happen as a result. It's a great, great article. Mm-hmm. So I think we're just about out of time. We're going to start getting ready to wind on up and get on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whatever that might be. Find a written view and fill it out for us, please. There you go. That'll move us up in the rankings. More people can listen. Remember, next week, the first caller who asked for the OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy is going to get a free book. And if you want a copy, just go to your favorite bookseller, be it Amazon or eBay or wherever you want. You can buy it right there. There you go. Won't have to wait. Yeah. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.